Greetings ladies and gents, and welcome to this latest video. There is no epic loot here, only puns taken from the website Royal Road. The link to the story will be down below. If you wish to support the author, please head over there and give them support. If you wish to support the channel, there are numerous ways to do so down below. There is Discord, Merch, Patreon, bunch of other stuff too. So have a look in the description, you might be surprised. Anyways, now on to the fiction. As always, I hope that you enjoy. Chapter 151 Highwire, Haywire Estelle didn't get the joke. Not the beginning or the end. Why was a circus in the middle of a jungle? There was no punchline and she was beginning to get a little ticked off by the randomness this dungeon had at times. It was like people who tried too hard to be quirky came off as childish. Not that Estelle knew anything about that, of course. Her personality had remained pretty much constant her entire life. Everyone was out to get her, and only Estelle could make herself shine. The tunnel the ghouls led them down was, uh, she had to admit, beautiful. The curving mushrooms that seemed to grow and coiling vines around support pillars emitting enchanting light that had made the stone around it sparkle like trapped stars. For precious seconds, it felt like they were back outside in some magical forest under the night sky, where things like giant bees and murderous little people, or ghouls, didn't exist. Estelle gave the silent ringmaster a once-over from the back, taking in his dark outfit, hat, and gloved hands. Ghouls had never been an issue where she grew up or at a school, as far as she knew. Ghouls tended to wander the countryside where they could sneak about unseen near unprotected gravesites or battlefields, feeding off rotting remains like filthy carrion beetles. Estelle had never heard of one that walked on two legs with a strong posture, let alone was able to communicate slightly with odd gestures. She had also never heard of one being so silent. Her textbooks said that ghouls were snarling, hissing creatures who feared fire. Ghouls were monsters, technically. They didn't get classes. They got species ranks, normally. But this dungeon was quirky, so Estelle guessed none of that applied to anything, and all that she knew about the outside world was worth nothing in this weird hole. She was ranting, but she stopped cold with the rest of her party at the sight of the tent. It filled the massive cavern before them in bright reds striped with black, the curving top leading to a massive crowning point, which the top of the pillar used to hold the cloth up was visible. The mushrooms around them had grown to cluster in pulsing spotlights that occasionally shifted or danced as thin mist clung to the ground, obscuring their feet. A massive gorilla creature stalked past them, shaking the ground slightly as it stood guard over the entrance. She wanted to speak, but the entire cavern began to grow dim, as mushrooms seemed to lose the luminescence one by one, until the only light was a perfect circle around Ghoul Rennie. He slowly raised both gloved hands, not even disturbing the air in his passing, as if he licked silence, and snapped his fingers that produced no sound. Something must have happened because the inside of the tent lit up with a slow, winding tune that grew faster and faster until the full-blown heat-thumping symphony was firing off. 
The tent entrance opened up grandly on its own and Remy bowed once, beginning to move backwards with us, walking. It was one of the creepiest things Estelle had ever seen. Remy was moving backwards without breaking his bow like the mist was carrying him into the tent of its own accord. That's uh, slightly alarming, Hazar announced as Remy's figures vanished into the tent where a soft pulsing red light swallowed him. You wonder why he is? Khan asked as he ran his hand over what seemed to be a locked cabinet filled with glowing treats of salts. The stand called it Glorious Popcorn and required a circus ticket to purchase some. Tourist trap bait. Its slightly tastes of sawdust and is painted to draw the easily distracted in. Estelle said as Silver wandered over to the tent as if drawn to the music like a moth to a flame. I see one clown. I'm layering so many barriers in one place. I'll create violent air vacuum when they pop. The stell muttered to the cave and stalked forward. Maharia had avoided the circus. The lich-turned-fairy couldn't decide if it was fear or trauma that kept her away. Ghouls weren't the best creatures when one was alive, but they were predators of all things dead, and even one as powerful as she had been still held an irrational fear of ghouls. Ghouls weren't so bad to deal with, but if they became feral, or worse, gather under a ghoul lord, she shivered, not wanting to think about it. Nature refused a vacuum. Death disliked an uneven playing board. As far as she knew, if you existed in this world, something could kill you eventually. Worms had birds, rats had birds and cats, humans had humans. Undead had ghouls. Ghouls had fire, which was something at least. Still, Maharia couldn't put this off forever, since there was no telling how long she'd be in Delta's dungeon. She wasn't even technically dead anymore, more a mana construct than a lichberry. So, she had no reason to fear the ghoul who was a contract monster that's still very able to devour her. She shivered, but snuck into the tent after the group. The inside of the tent was a dizzying spiraling of red flashing lights and shadows that even threw her off balance for a moment until all lights snapped to Remy in the center of the space, sending a shudder of Maharia's spine. Remy held a cane and began to tap on the ground, surprisingly, then actually made a noise as it did so a repeating thunderous bang that sounded like a heartbeat, with the tent acting as a ribcage. He would make his father proud, Dalsa's voice said, and Maharia tried not to show how spooked she was as she startled. Ghouls reproduce, never mind. Uh, He he doesn't technically have a father, Maharia muttered to the forming orange avatar of the dungeon. Family is more than blood. You should know that. Delta replied, and Maharia was quiet for a time, her neck in a long dead heart for sun, her friend, that was so far from mortal, wasn't funny. The group panicked, as all around them, bones began to rise out of the ground in a swirling tornado of white, as around Remy, the circus of the damned performers, appeared around Remy in various poses, everything. From pointed clowns, their eyes sockets painted with gold stars and red noses held on by string, while behind them lions, wolves, and more posed as trained. 
their bones glistening around the red uniforms. Strong skeletons lifted weights as unseen stagehands roamed the spotlights all over the tent. From the drip in the tent, Wilhelm jumped into beating his chest as Remy's cane continued tapping a musical tempo. It was such a spectacular scene that even Mahari's usual acidic words failed to find a target for some time as the crew set up stunts, high wires, while the various stage animal skeletons broke apart, forming unique chimera forms to the delight of Khan, who had apparently never seen a circus either. Delta took a seat in the audience, beaming as she watched the show. At the back, Divina, Luna, Giant, and Rail all watched the show with an interest as even the pygmies took spots in the rafters for the event. Then, just as the music and displays hit a crescendo, Rennie tapped his cane once more, and the tent went dark, except for a single spotlight on the ghoul ringleader. Slowly, Rennie raised the cane to the roof of the tent, where the spotlights illuminated a high wire stretched across the space between two platforms. Rennie, then pointed to the group with the other hand, smiling wide and demonic. Maharia might not like the call, but she liked where this was going. My me, Estelle demanded as she slowly pulled herself up another rung. I'm in heels, she complained to herself as she moved ever higher. Of course, she had to do the high wire thing because she had barriers if she went splat. Azar was getting shot out of the cannon if it was a test, and Estelle would ignite it herself and point it at the ground. Just as she reached the top, she held onto the pole for support, and she looked over the wire as it shone in the spotlight. Next to her, a rattling noise indicated movement of bones, and some skeleton limbs crawled up the platform, gripping each other to form a pole for her to use for balance. Would it kill you just to give me a real pole? She hissed as the end of the pole formed a thumbs up of encouragement. She took the cursed thing and eyed the wire with a gulp. This doll was not afraid of heights, but it was a high place inside of Circus of the Damned on a thin wire with everyone watching. Being made fun of was a bigger fear for Estelle than breaking her neck. Education as a teenager had really messed up her priorities. She focused, and as she tested the wire, her barrier failed to form on the tip of her heels, which usually avoided the issue of wearing heels in the first place. Some sort of anti-magic wire. She kicked off her heels, leaving her in bare feet, and threw them to her cousin who caught them with an exasperated look as she took another step onto the wobbling wire. Just pretend that you're walking to class because the girl stole your shoes again. Cold, sharp paved hallways. Careful where you step, Etsy. Jean muttered to herself and took another step, nearly falling on the first leg of the journey. She used the bone pole, as promised herself to never call it that again, to slowly work her way forward, adjusting to the challenge with some effort. Just as she passed the halfway mark, something banged and the skeleton went flying past her face with a shriek as it was fired from the cannons around the area. Estelle wobbling horribly, swearing so loud that Silver gasped. More skeletons flew overhead, catching each other and swinging handlebars. Walk, 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 Estelle commanded herself in a high-pitched screech of terror. To her horror, a reforming skeleton began walking the wire from the other side, but upside down, 
as if gravity meant nothing to him. Set the rope on fire, she heard that damned fairy yell from somewhere. Just as she was about to make it to the other side, her mind turning to pure animalistic instinct to keep moving, the bone, the, the, the pole, broke apart in her hands, falling away to the ground below. Her vision tilted to the left, and she made a split-second decision to leap for it, flailing her arms out in an attempt to catch the platform before she fell. Her fingers barely brushed the wooden platform's edge, and then she was falling. A net made of near-translucent sock caught her, barely reflecting any light from the spotlights. She lay there as the net was slowly lowered and her team surrounded her. She blinked back tears and avoided their gaze. Estelle has been right there, and she'd missed it. Remy bent down, and his smile was just as small as one as she handed her something. It was a key. But I failed, she said, not taking it yet. Remy looked unsure as to how to convey himself, and Mahari appeared, as if pushed onto the floor by someone. It was never about succeeding, but being a part of the show. You were, um... Entertaining, I guess. Usually these things would require a few more uh, shows to get the key, but Rennie was really impressed by your effort, Maharia translated with a sock. You wanted him to set me on fire, Estelle accused and Maharia sighed. I know, and I'm disappointed it didn't happen either, she admitted. Estelle took the key and then Remy presented her with a golden ticket as well, and then walked off with a cheerful trot at his step. The popcorn better be worth it, the stall stared darkly as Hazar handed her back her shoes. The machine outside the tent dispensed a single piece of food within and the stall felt cheated. She glared at the golden ticket before she popped it in her mouth. Too much butter, she muttered. She turned and her body slowly began to grow warm. The stall paused as the others watched her for reactions, curious about the snacks. For blissful seconds... Every stress, worry, self-doubt, and negative thing Estelle associated with being herself melted away, and she was left standing there as she was surrounded by the sheer bliss of life. She was alive. Estelle knew magic. Estelle was way prettier than Hazel. Life was. Her eyes welled with tears abruptly, and she felt no shame in shedding them because shame didn't exist for her. Even... As the effect died down, the lingering enlightenment swirled around her as if the popcorn had opened doors that she had never known. It took her a second to notice Khan was carrying her through the jungle. Estelle, having stopped paying attention to things like the physical world in her elevated state. I need more tickets, she wailed. No way, you hugged me, that popcorn is dangerous. Hazar grunted. Estelle wrinkled her nose. She did what? Put me down. She told Khan, as they looked to be close to the massive tree at the end of the floor where the metal gates were under its roots. Is that it? She asked quietly, still trying to fight off the weird urge to beam at everything. Everything uh, we've uh, suffered for is beyond that gate. Um, the washroom, Hazar agreed. Will it want to show us a power of friendship? Do a song, maybe it'll let us pass if we tell a joke. Khan mused, and Estelle couldn't argue. The boss was usually the lesson of the floor summed up into any other dungeon. You never know. It might want to fight, Hazar pointed out. Psh, 
I'd just bare my heart to it and I'll cry and then we can get some treasure and leave, Estelle said, stalking forward. I should also mention Delta a lot, sir. I, I think that's good, Hazar agreed. They opened the first gate. Inside the boss room, Wyam opened one of her glowing amber-filled eyes. Around her were various carvings of adventures that she'd made in her spare time. In a single instant of one of her branches circling the room in a high-pitched whistle, all of the heads were cut clean off the stone bodies. I wonder what will flow first, tears or blood, she mused, her thick lips pulling into a pouty smile. Farah looked up from wiping down the bar with a frown. Standing at a door was a familiar figure. Roly, she said, and the woman's eyes were yellow with a groom until she stepped forward. The outsiders, the woman said simply, and Farah wiped the bar a few more times, then nodded. We have them, but they didn't pass my way, she said, and this seemed to throw the woman for a moment. Then how did they get to the other floor, she questioned, and Farah wasn't willing to give up dungeon secrets so easily. There are ways that don't involve passing through the swathy hog, girl. Drink before you go stomping onwards. She asked, and Rudy hesitated, as if torn between concern for Delta, her duty, and a free drink. They're on the hands of Wyam, if my rumor mill is true, she said casually, and this made Rudy blink and then smile as she took a seat. Well, uh, I hate to barge in so early that they don't get the full experience before I drag them off to Durance. Rudy agreed, her mane of dark hair swept back as she relaxed. They aren't bad folks, really. Vera had to admit from what she had observed. Not about the characters, it's about the respect, really. If people think that they can ignore my ma and the other elders of Enchanted Delta, that sends the idea we're weak and nothing attracts the worst kinds of people, like weakness, Rudy sighed as she nursed a drink. We can take care of ourselves, Farah felt the need to remind her. We really are taking care of a lot. Let us town handle some outsiders. Even a girl like Delta is going to need a break from the calcs, the scum, and the knights, she said, drinking with a deep gulp. Delta likes people, Farah said quietly. She does not like these people, came the dark response. Across the land, carriages rode out, blazing with the symbols of fair play, the king and the lone dark carriage with a doll-like maid, all of them making a beeline for one little town. End of chapter. Chapter 152. The Coming Storm. Mist. Refreshing, cool mist that enveloped them cooling their skin and almost rejuvenating the team after what honestly felt like days on the second floor. Hazar inhaled it, even tasted cool on his tongue. He held his axe at the ready, missing the horns as a little as it would stop the blade from cutting into his face. His skull itched and Hazar chose to ignore it for now. They were in a boss room and there was honestly no telling how harmless or kind the boss would be to them. Was it a puzzle boss? Some sort of spiritual journey gimmick? The room, as far as he could tell, was a large grove of salts with small streams stretching out, giving a rise to more mist. The lush grass could have hidden snakes or worse, but here, yeah, they just rustled in some unfelt breeze as the ceiling of the room was hidden by the rising moisture, making it hard to guess how big the room actually was. 
A shadow ran in front of them, the laughing woman, before quickly faded. Group, Hazar warned, moving in a rough pattern that would have let a stall barrier them from any angle. The shadow reappeared, laughing again. Who wanders into my garden of pleasure? Came a purr that sent every hair in Hazel's body on its end. It was a voice that a promise of pain would be exquisite, that it would border on addiction to anyone with a weak will. Three tasty morsels and a toxic snack. Can you see me? The woman asked, sounding like she was whispering in Hazar's ears. They all turned as one to look behind them, and Khan looked curious. What do we do here? he asked, holding his knife carefully. When, obviously, Estelle said clearly. This made the shadowy figure who kept moving in before reappearing far off burst out near the hysterical laughter. <laughs> I've seen children, literal children escorted by one young woman, have a better chance at winning than you four. The trees have told me their opinion. The wind and the leaves whisper of your efforts, and the unseen roots inform me of your strengths. You may all die here today if things go wrong. I certainly won't try my best to keep you alive. The woman warned as the mist began to thin a little around the edges. Hazar tensed, almost unable to form words due to the thick feeling in the air, like they were all mice before a lion. You're just a mean girl of the dungeon. You may be strong or weirdly good at something, but you're still just a girl who bullies others to feel better about herself. Mistel surprised them all by taking a stand. I've met your kind before, and under whatever pretty face you have is a sad, angry person, Estelle snapped, raising her staff. The amusing chuckling abruptly stopped. Now now, that hurt my feelings a little, the voice said as the room began to shake. So... I'm going to make you all feel pain in return now. A few weeks ago, maybe less, I might have just turned the insides of your ribcage into a flower pot. So, when something beautiful actually grows out of your mouth, it'll have plenty of manure to be healthy. The mist thinned, and a large shape in the middle of the room became clearer. I'm a more mature woman now, so I'll just break your legs. The very large tree woman announced gleefully. She paused as if listening to something no one else could hear. Fine! Mildly fracture. The tree amended. She stretched her branches out, her amber eyes flashing as her undeniable beauty glistened in the leftmost mist. If Hazar had one final word to say before he was crushed under this woman's mass, it was goddess. I am I am the last obstacle between you and the floor beyond. Your weapons will break upon my bark, your tears will water my roots, and your screams will be a melody in my branches. Come, bend and break for me. Wyam called, her entire form writhing in motion, spreading snaking vines into the air. Mistel flung her hands up, barely getting a barrier up in time to prevent the river of vines from washing across their forms. Instantly, Mistel fell to one knee, the barrier gaining spiderweb cracks across the dome-like structure. Get ready to move, Mistel stressed through her teeth. Khan got down low. Hazer hefted his axe, and Silver... Silver stood there menacingly, the back of his cloak shifting. The barrier cracked a little more, pieces of magic turning to particles as it rained down. No! Hazer said, yanking his cousin with him as they effectively had to split into two teams. 
This is gonna be a pain. Hazel, go chop that bitchy tree. Mama wants some sassy wooden logs. Estelle hissed. Can you get me close? Hazel asked as dozens of vines swooped down at them. Estelle scoffed with countless tiny circles appearing in the air, deflecting the vines before blinking out of existence where they were rapidly replaced by new ones. Big barriers are annoying, tiny, temporary ones. Give me a challenge, Hazel, Estelle insisted as they took off. As you wish. Mayim sang from under the ground. She hurled a buried boulder at them. Azar flexed his arms as the red glow raced up his arms, making his weapon blaze on the edge before he cleaved the rock in two pieces that landed on either side of Estelle and himself. You used a class skill, Estelle said, clearly shocked. It was just a cleave. Let's go, Azar said, flushing as he didn't actually use his class skill since that dungeon all those years ago. His body just reacted. Something inside of him had been dislodged in the hot spring, and it was making his heart do weird things. Khan cut another vine, the poison leeching out his dagger, making them wither in contact. The more he cut, the more of them seemed to emerge. It was like a weed hydra. Silf, buddy, um, uh, you're gonna help, he called as he flipped back out of the grab the thick branch. Silver simply walked forward, snapping the vines that tried to hold him. There had been a noticeable shift in his form, and Khan really didn't want to see under the cloak now. People like Silver had two modes, the human part and the monster part, and they weren't always in balance. She is perfect. I, I almost don't want to fight her, Silver admitted. Feel free to lay down and I'll step on you when I figure out feet. Wyam called over as she sent a large branch to attack Estelle and Hazer. As the root emerged, dark and pointed, Silver intercepted it, being pushed a few times before he did something that made himself far too heavy for the root to shift alone. Two more joined the effort, and Silver grunted as he slowly inched back. Cut! Human! Silver growled, and Khan snapped out of his stupor to hack the roots. He didn't need Hazel's axe to do damage when his dagger had a burning poison constantly emerging from it. Natricker, how do you do that? Khan asked casually as he stabbed. Less human, more silver, the cloak figure rubbled. The mana, corrupted and fouled, but undeniable. Tell me, you bundle of mercury in human form, what floor did your better half reside on? Wyam asked. If she, she wasn't fending off four of them at the same time, like it was nothing. Aye, was Silver's reply. Khan wondered if that made a difference to people like Silver, if the monster they bonded with was from a higher floor, or even our boss. A little hint. Doubt a single floor is worth five, no, ten times of your normal dungeon. I am not a mere second floor boss. I'm akin to a boss that you'd find on the twentieth floor if I went all out. Byam said haughtily, and Khan felt his heart freeze for a second at the knowledge. Silver braced himself and yanked and hauled the entire tree forward to the surprise of Wyam. Still a while off then, Silver said confidently, and Wyam snarled, now having a tug of war with Silver, as she held a branch in front of her face to prevent Hazel from getting close. Let's uh, pick up the tempo, sweet things. I'm making to see how well you can all dance, Byam announced as she sent her wandering roots deep into the rivers around the room drained, sucked up by the tree who suddenly grew thick flowers and lush greenery all over her body. 
Silver was flung back and Khan could only help him but before he was lifted off the ground and moved about like a rag doll. He staggered at the awkward angle and unable to pierce the branch holding him. Estelle was blocked as hard as she could to aid him, but at the last second she was sent literally spinning and dancing to the side as roots spiked up through the ground under her feet. Sing for me, an area of pain. Wyam cried and Khan winced as Hazar was hit hard in the stomach by a gnarled root, making him fly back into the wall of the room where he landed in a slight heap, only to be forced to roll almost non-stop to the side as whipping vines tore up the ground that he'd been moments before. Dance for me, the tango of tears, she added to her rising voice. Khan was slammed hard into the ground with a whip-like motion. Tonight you shall taste despair so sweet that it will be the nectar of fantasies for years to come. Tonight you will dance with Wyan. The tree laughed as a sweet laugh. Khan heard, but damn, he didn't want to get up and keep going. The tree had a point about this pain and pleasure thing. In the royal capital, Lorsa slowly whittled away at a stick, forming a near replica of the rapier she had once seen on a battlefield. The homeless dungeon corps, masquerading as a royal knight captain, looked up at the entrance of Yell's dungeon crept open. She'd sent Rilda to rest, despite being the contract of Yell that had gotten a second job as a royal knight. She still had to take care of basic needs, eventually. Lawson knew that Rilda was as tough as they come, having left fair play, once being one of their famous maidens. But Lawson still fussed with the woman pulled three ships in a row. Out of the door, only two figures emerged, Mass and Princess Surma. Mass's clothes were torn as his sword looked broken. Surma's dress was filthy, and she held her arm awkwardly. They looked hollow, perhaps for different reasons. Yell had gotten softer. Lorsa was really surprised the old grump would even let them leave alive. Princess, young Mass, she greeted, and Surma's eyes watered, as she held something in her hands. It was an old, tarnished crown that had gems of power embedded in it. Ah, you found her then? Lorsa asked quietly. I brought her back. I kept her safe, Mass mumbled, looking at his broken sword before he started crying. I must speak with our father, Summer said, no longer hesitating with speaking, and her words had a twinge of... Uh, authority to it that even Lorsa had to notice. The other two, Lorsa asked, and Mass inhaled once. They decided to stay. The dungeon had uh, what they wanted, he said, as if it was all still confusing to him. Lorsa hit an annoyed look. She had told Yarl to stop adopting strays and to stave off his boredom. Shall I escort Mass to the medical wing? Lorsa offered kindly. No, here's my personal night from now on. Where I go, he goes. Summer said, with a tinge of fear that she might make Mass away from her. Lorsa paused. Personal guard's authority could even supersede the royal knights when it came to their charges. Summer was going to be making waves with this choice. Lorsa approved. The castle's occupants stopped in their various day-to-day -day tasks to stare at the bloodied princess that stalked forward with purpose. Her previous shyness or even politeness had been discarded for an unstoppable will. At her side, her broken knight with his broken sword followed her in her footsteps until they reached not the throne room, but a more personal office of sorts to the side. 
It was actually hard to stamp new laws and sign death sentences from atop a throne. But Lhasa had seen more foolish kings and queen attempt just that. King Lendius's pen dropped when Surma stepped into his office, and even the other two royal knights standing guard against assassins seemed shocked. It took a lot to surprise royal knights. They, Lhasa included, had seen a lot of strange things. The younger of the two, Menda, even got. Surma, the king said, his usual practiced regal poise lost in a slight stutter of surprise. My king, Surma said softly, deliberately impersonal. Lhasa internally pushed the little family spack to be up by one in her internal drama sense. Surma dropped the battered crown on the ground where it rattled in a slow spin. Yell was always tickled by the fact he made the rulers of the kingdom wear a tatty old crown instead of the splendid things that he could have designed. It was a little funny, especially when it also heard how backwards the royal family had gone to make it seem like a good thing. How the crown was a symbol of the royal family never needing to go after treasure because the kingdom was the actual jewel. How a tarnished crown saw a lot of work and effort, while a pristine one was untouched. How the crown was a reminder of where they had come from and how far that they had developed since. You've returned alive. It does my heart well to see you here, Lendius said. Standing and Surma did what countless assassins failed to do before her. Mother sends her regards. Lendius sat down so heavily, looking like he might have a stroke. Surma paused as if thinking about it. Not regards. But the things she said I should report back to you are crude for the others in the room. Mostly about your abilities as a husband, as a lover, as the replacement to your older brother that died before he could ascend to the throne, and how you lied to everyone about her death, and the fact that she ran away from your paranoid, angry, drunken moods. Summer said, her voice dropping in warmth with each word until she was leveling a dagger made of ice at the king's throat. I am still your father and your king, Lendia snapped, trying to gather himself up not since I left that dungeon. Officially, I am your successor, and thanks to the great-grandfather, no royal knight, servant, or knight may raise a hand to me under your orders without Yell revealing you as the killer. So you are now my awkward rival, as I will be coming for the throne. I have time, support, and tradition as my allies, while you have fear as your only companion. As for father, Surma echoed with a derisive laugh. Your daughter died in that dungeon. The monster that killed her? The truth. I shall see you at dinner, King Lendius. I'll bring my own food. Surma said simply and turned, walking away from the man that had run her life up until this moment. You, uh, kind of suck, Mass announced bluntly and left with Surma. Lorsa was drinking this up, cackling internally with an imaginary bottle of wine in her hands. This I... The king blustered, and Lorsa put on her best sympathetic face as she turned to him, ready to show him the solution to his problems, just like always. As the successor, she technically still has the show the display of strength outside the capital and solve a growing tension, my liege. She bowed slightly. He stared at her. Send her to Durance. Truly, the monsters there will break her along with their dungeon. Then you can use her death as a means to lay down extreme law and punishment on the town. Lothar suggested, and the king's eyes lit up. No, not death, but if she returns cowed, I will be pleased, he announced, reaching for his pen. 
Halsa would enjoy watching this man bleed. Now she had to hurry. She was likely missing Serma and Mass having a heartfelt conversation and weeping about the kingdom. That was prime potential romance stuff. Right, faster, Lorsa muttered as the king made orders to send to the princess off to Durance. And the guide to Durance was almost here. The king of monsters would be extremely helpful in ensuring the two reached Durance. It had basically eaten every bandit and monster between Durance and the capital as it was. Mentally, Lorsa pushed chaotic pieces as close as they could get, watching as they did the rest on their own. The best kinds of plans worked by simply putting elements together, rather than absolutely controlling those elements. Durance was the cooking pot. The dungeon was the heat. And now, Lorsa was supplying the ingredients. Estelle wiped her mouth with the back of her hand, noticing that she'd burst-lipped and her hand came away red. Blood brings out the color of your eyes, dear. Baya, the bitch, sang as she went in again, ready to make them bend. Shutting up makes you a lot more tolerable, Estelle cursed back. The battle was reaching its climax and she had a horrible feeling. For every inch they pushed Wyam, she reclaimed a foot back. Every attack they landed, she nicked them a dozen times in response. And every barb Estelle tossed out, Wyam took it, only to hurl it back with more deadly accuracy. The sudden issue in their team composition was suddenly very clear. Their team did not have an explosive force nor an elementalist to control the battlefield. Estelle could make barriers, but on their own, they didn't cause much trouble. Something had to change and she knew that she had to do it now. Estelle scowled as she dispersed her various barriers to focus. The moment she reached for the other magic within herself, she felt sick. It had always been a possibility for her to use this magic, but Estelle had never allowed it to bloom simply because it was her father's magic, and she would have sooner chewed her nails than use it. But Hazar had used his class skill to save her. Silver was allowing his form to change. Khan was... Well, actually Khan was being Khan, which wasn't anything special, but she included him in the internal reasoning to bolster her willpower. It was almost... Not enough. Estelle almost bled from the magic until the last second. That warmth filled her once more. The popcorn in her stomach unleashed a truly staggering sense of peace, and Estelle grasped her family magic, passed down from the one to another, like their eyes or their hair color. The seed that fell from some rotted tree. As a vine reached for her, her skin cracked as a warming surge of red lightning. I hate the smell. Estelle sneered as her hands and energy danced across it and cooked the air around her, blackening the nearby branch of vines as the near uncontrolled energy crackled. Estelle winced and formed barriers to contain the magic, to keep the others out, to be alone with this pressure. Do I make the old line about flowers and hidden thorns? I am called as she threw Hazar across the room into silver, sending them crashing to the ground and Hazar's axe flying out of sight. Don't be gush, Estelle sneered, her hair lifting up in snarling storm of the energy escaping any way it could. Quite. What is your name, Estelle Stormy Cloud? Estelle Shocky Girl? I am asked, and Estelle held her chin up. Pending, she replied, and threw lining bolt in Wyam's face, using the ambient magic to feed herself, to channel magic that was normally difficult outside in thinner magical environments. It was a break 
The fighting as Wyam reached up and ran a branch along the thin, glowing burn mark, looking unbothered. You'll need to get harder than that, Wyam warned. Estelle tried not to swallow hard, feeling her father's fingers on her shoulder where he used to squeeze her so hard that she would have bruises for weeks afterwards. Harder, girl! Are you trying to surprise someone or kill them? Get off my back! Estelle screamed, throwing a storm into the room that broke through her barriers loudly. The chaotic meadow now become a storm of violence. A symbol of things to come. End of chapter. And that, my friends, concludes this video. I hope that you enjoyed, and if you do, please consider supporting the author, even by popping over and leaving a thumbs up or a nice comment, just to show your appreciation for the story. However, if you wish to support this channel, there are links down below which will help immensely. I will see you all in the next one, and until then, I hope that you have a fantastic day. Cheers. I just want to give a quick thank you to the T5 members and patrons. Alithia, Barky, Fudic Yol, Cam Maxwell, Casper Arnholtz, Angry Marine, Lord Azrakel, White Van 420, and Arcalian.